Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. We are continuing our series all about color. So last week, if you didn't tune into last week, you definitely need to go back and listen to that episode because it's the foundation behind everything else that we're going to talk about in this series. Last week, we talked about getting color right in camera, and uh, we dove in really deep on that. I know that uh, Julio is appreciative of that topic, no doubt, um, as is any good colorist, but I wanted to have Julio on for many reasons. One, Julio is a good friend of mine. We've been friends for oh, probably four or five years now. And, uh, I have always respected and I actually knew Julio from long before that, before we became friends, because I followed him through his channel, small camera, big picture, which has recently been revived. So that's super exciting. Um, but Julio brings a great deal of wisdom to this particular conversation, uh, at so many levels because, um, I, I got to experience that firsthand because I've hired Julio as a colorist and my whole team has been really blown away at the work that he did um, on some of our films. And we're actually even bringing Julio in. We're scheduling a time sometime in the next couple of weeks, I think, to, to bring Julio in to help train the team further on color. Um, so... Yeah, Julio has also has this great experience because because of his work with small camera big picture and just sort of his curiosity around camera systems, he has shot with like everything under the sun. Um, so I think pretty much you name it, he's probably shot with it and worked with those files and pressed them as far as they can go. And so he is such a great partner for this conversation. So thank you for coming on, Julio. Thank you, Jordan. That's a that's a pretty awesome intro, I got to say. <laughs> well, uh, before we dive in too deep, you are up to a lot of exciting stuff lately. Um, Small Camera Big Picture was such a, a huge deal years ago, and it was what first put me on to, um, to thinking about mirrorless cameras to eventually ending up with Lumix. And... Um, you know, after, after a while, you kind of killed that to move on to other things that you were passionate about, but you've brought it back. So tell us a little bit more about what you're up to with small camera, big picture. Sure thing. So small camera, big picture, gosh, I launched in 2011. It was, I think the very first blog slash website to take mirrorless cameras, modern mirrorless cameras seriously, because I had uh, one uh, a little pen mini from Olympus. So a little $400 camera I was shooting magazine covers, uh, with it, which was a, a wild experience to show up to a, a high end photo <laughs> shoot with a $400 point shoot camera. But I was like, dude, it's so good. And the benefits you get outweighed the fact that I'm showing up with a tiny little camera. Cause that was more of a confidence thing, but I was like, man, this has got, this is so good. And then, um, as things grew, I became an Olympus visionary and then, and then after, after so long, I left that and it became uh, one of the first Panasonic luminaries. So I'm the only photographer that ever been sponsored by both Micro Four Thirds companies. Um, 
but eventually I was so busy with photo shoots and doing stuff with Panasonic and other partner companies, I wasn't able to manage the small camera big picture well. And I don't want to do something uh, for uh, to serve the photographic community if it can't be done well. Uh, so I took the blog down. I said, I'll come, you know, maybe someday it'll come back. And after I left Panasonic, um, after I left that sponsorship, I was like, I, I really want to get back into helping the community and go uh, lead the way into the what I feel is is the next big thing, which has always been here anyways, which is vision and creativity and color. And then I relaunched Small Camera Big Picture as a private online community for people that really want their photography to, to matter and to have impact. Awesome. Yeah. I love the idea. And you've always been, you've always been someone who is really forward thinking with this stuff. I've always sort of looked to you to what's happening next in the industry. Um, but also you're, you're kind of at the forefront of thinking in terms of what's next with, with social media and that sort of thing. Um, and I think as people get more and more um, sort of burned by some of the bigger social media platforms, uh, these these smaller online private communities just seem like they're going to make more and more sense as time goes on. So yeah, I always appreciate your your direction as a visionary. Um, but yeah, again for this this specific topic, obviously color. Uh, Julia, you did mention that you were going to offer something to our listeners. Uh, could you yeah. say more about that? Yeah. So this is the first time uh, I'm doing this because um, I'm not a big fan of doing of, like discounting things and making, you know what I mean? Like these kind of like flash deals, 10,000 Lightroom presets for $40. I'm like, we need to uh, create more and consume less. But hmm. the community that I have, it's a small camera, big picture community. It's a private community. It doesn't run on Facebook. Um I want to keep it small, but I want the right people in. And I know that a lot of people that listen to you, Jordan, and appreciate what you're doing are what I would consider the right people. People that they really want their photography to matter. They they want to have a, um, a positive impact on the people in their photos and their customers. And I think that they would appreciate um, being part of the small camera, big picture community. Because what we do is we focus on vision we focus on storytelling. We focus on uh, the pitfalls, but also the benefits of social media and how to make that to your advantage. And the way it's set up is we have a classroom. We basically have, have the community. Then in the community, we have the classroom. And the classrooms, we have different classes. So right now we have uh, Finding the Photographer's Vision, which, gosh, is like 12 hours of videos. And you can take them as you go. And we have... Um, uh, coaching calls, like small group coaching calls in there. It's an amazing thing. Um, and the reason why I developed this is because the cameras are so good. You can buy any brand of camera made in the last five years, and it's more than good enough to make beautiful prints. There's more than good enough to make your living. And even the latest cameras are just freaking amazing. But I think what people are finding is that they get these cameras and like, man, this camera's got eye detection and 60 frames a second and 4k and 6k and all this stuff but there's something missing and what's missing is is 
the in, the photographer being able to show their their unique vision to the world, right? And it's so easy to get bombarded by like again like presets and these tutorials and these tutorials that make a certain look. But what we really need to be focusing on is how we, as as creators, how we as artists see the world, because that is our unique differentiator in a business world more than anything. Because anybody can go out and get a business loan and go buy a $100,000 phase one, whatever, you know, super megapixel camera or red camera. And technically, maybe you'd have a slight advantage technically. So it's going to be sharper. Maybe you can get deeper colors or whatever it is. But it's not going to help someone tell a compelling story. It's not going to help somebody... Uh, have a unique vision so that when someone sees the work, they're like, Oh, that's Julio's work. You yeah. can tell it, you can see that it's mine or that's Annie Leibowitz's work or that's Jordan Bunch's work. And that's what, that's a big reason why people hire uh, these artists is because they want that look. And when you are selling your vision, you simply don't have any competition at that point. It is a matter of for the customer. Can I buy that Ferrari? It's expensive, but I really want the Ferrari. And either going to say, yes, I can buy it or no, I can't. And that's really where we want to be as artists. So we're not, it's not a competition with each other. You're not worried about the, the droves of people with iPhones, which by the way, the new iPhones are good enough to make a good quality print, but there's something missing, right? Yeah. There's no one, all these people are using it. They don't have vision. So I developed this course that I've been using for myself um, since I started photography, which is basically, it's I go through uh, every three months now. I used to be every six months, but now every three months, I go through what I call a vision file. So I keep all my inspiration in there. I pull it out. You can see it actually in the video back there, a lot of those prints. And I say, okay, what are these images? What are these images saying to me? What in my body work that I have made fits in with that vision? And then whatever is not mine, then those are those are images I got to go out and make. So basically, we're focusing on that. Um, the, 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 the end result is basically you're more self-expressed. You're going to get the clients that want to hire you. And they're out there now. They just don't know where you're at. Because when you, but when, you have an, a vi, when you have a vision that speaks on its own. So when you're not there, when someone's looking at your website, what does it say? And... Then you have, we have an artist development track that goes along with it. So you work on your artist statement that backs up your, your vision of, of your body of work. And then what happens is when people see that, it's easier for them to sell you to other people because they say, hey, Julio, is, Julio focuses on uh, self-expression and, and uh, you, you know, human, the human experience and the street photography. And it does this and it does this and it does this. So then they're selling for you. And then when you talk to people, you're saying the same thing. It's all unified. So it's, it's, I can go on and on about this. I'm really passionate about it. It yeah. will transform your photography for those that take it. It'll transform it in ways that no other class that I know of uh, will transform it because we're not talking about technique. We're talking about the deep, deep, deep stuff, bringing out who are you as an artist inside and making sense of that that web, that maze in our brains, trying to make sense of that. And we get that out. We work with you. We work with a community of really, really cool photographers in there from around the world. And we help each other 
uh, be the best artist. And the thing is this, is it, once the class, once you're done with the class, that's not, it's not over with because it's a community. You always have access to the class. So right now I've updated it with like seven hours of extra video content. And then you get awesome. that. Yeah, you get that. So I, I, I wanted to make small camera, big picture, a service for the photographic community, not as like, Hey, buy this once and I'll see you later. And then you'll never hear from me again. So it's just really important to me. I think Jordan, I think that, you know, we're in this age now where the cameras do so much. Um, and they're going to, they're only going to continue to do more and more cooler things. So then what's, what's, what's really left is us as artists. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. And that's something that we, we preach again and again is, you know, storytelling when it comes to, to wedding films, to any, any sort of film storytelling is just so critical. And so if you're struggling to, to find your voice, if you're struggling to, to have the vision, to tell those stories while you're looking at other people's work and it's just, their stories have compelled you and you're just struggling to pull that out. This sounds like it might be a really fantastic course for you. So, I mean, if you think about, think about like what music does, we go to a concert anywhere could be something as simple as you go on a concert uh, um, live music at church or you're going to like a live show at Austin City Limits or something no one stands there and it's kind of in silence right mm-hmm. people are jumping up oh my god this is amazing they're getting to, like really there's an emotional reaction and it's an emotional reaction because we're we're, we're engaging with the artist's self-expression and right. that is what we need to take and put that into our body of work to uh, be relevant in this new age that we're in because anything that can be automated anything that can be done for cheap uh either in asia or other countries is going to happen it's happening so we need to focus on the on the creativity um so it's it's awesome look at it's a class is pretty it's already very aggressively priced and i do it just to cover the uh the costs of the uh, what goes into the class of private hosting and the private network and all that. So it's normally uh, 150, but for for our readers or listeners of the show, if they want to to do the class, they can do it for 25 bucks off. Oh, nice! Which is pretty dope. Yeah, thank you for doing that. So and it's a one time payment. You don't have to subscribe to nothing. You just buy it. Boom, you're in. There you're you go. In. And you know, I always get updates, and we do live coaching calls and it's it's just awesome i I just love it i have so much fun with uh, fantastic photographers so well thanks for that Um, offer sure i'll 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 give you a code and you can put it in the show notes if you want um perfect and uh you just plug it into the shopping cart and then you will get an invitation when the class opens up because it's uh, we don't you don't just get it and then get in and get to work but uh you know just want to make sure that you're the right kind of the right people that we want in the class Awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> Fantastic. Well, again, Julia, like I said, I, I had you I, in mind when I was thinking about this class because I brought you on for several of my wedding films for my, my higher end brand because I just wanted something a little bit extra. And uh, I, I had always appreciated your work so much. And so I remember you know, you were, um, I, I remembered how much particular, um, how much in particular your, your photos really popped. Um, 
you know, it's like you said, I can tell when I see one of your photos apart from anybody else, like you've got your own vision, you've got your own style. And so much of that is centered around color. And so I, I reached out to you and asked if you'd be interested in coloring some films. And it was fascinating to me once you got to work on them and started showing me some of the work, how much your influence as a photographer ended up playing a role in how you graded films, which was something I had like, that just sort of opened up a new, uh, some new horizons for me. I hadn't thought about ever grading footage the way that a photographer would. And, you know, even being a photographer myself, it's like, uh, it was, it was sort of one of those duh moments like, Oh yeah. Why didn't I think of that? I'd do that with photos. Why wouldn't I do that with video? Um, you know, I just never even considered the idea. So, um, so anyways, I always appreciate that, that sort of unique approach that you're taking your, your style of photo editing and applying that to video, which I think is just, again, super unique. So, um, I want to, I want to have a topic. I want to, I want to talk mostly about post-production. I want to hear, because I think that for probably a lot of wedding filmmakers, when it comes to post-production and working with color, I think probably most people's approach is just sort of like either fiddle with things until they kind of get, get it sort of where they want it. Or it's, I'm going to go buy a LUT online and I'm going to apply it and be done with it. And there's all sorts of problems with that. I think the main problem really being is there not being any real reason why they're doing something. You know, it's just sort of a either slap this LUT like it's a big band-aid on the whole thing. Or it's just sort of aimless tinkering. So, um, let me, I want to dive deep into that, but a few questions first. Are you, are you editing in just whatever, um, whatever platform that you're doing your, your overall edit in? Are you doing the color there as well? Are you using DaVinci Resolve or something like that? What's sort of your preferred way to color grade? I, um, I've experimented with a lot of stuff. I mean, I've done entire music videos where I would grade in Photoshop. And this was like, and we had to render out stills. So the entire music video is just mm. like frames. And I bring all those frames into Photoshop. This That's was like insane. like 10 years ago, man. And then when I lived in Miami <laughs> and I would, I would have my look and I would apply it to that and I would batch it. I don't know. I've never, I haven't batched anything in years. Yeah. And it would save it into a separate folder. And then I would go to the beach for like the rest of the day. <laughs> with, with, with with my wife and be like cool we're gonna go to the beach and hopefully there's not a power outage because if it is then i just lost six hours um <laughs> i and then you know and i've used premiere since 97 or like right when right when it first came out yeah um it hasn't really changed since which is a bit of a bummer now it's it's almost 2000 20 here and you know we got electric cars and phones that talk to satellites and it's kind of like the same program <laughs> uh yeah. which kind of drives me nuts uh i i mainly use final cut pro 10 um and i used the one before that seven and six and all those but i use final cut pro 10 and then i use just a basic built-in tools 
in it, which are are plentiful. Unless you're doing some sort of special effects, um, for me, it's plenty. It's plenty. It, it's simple. It makes sense. And it's really more about the what do you want to accomplish with the color versus, hey, let's go and, and geek out and talk about the tools first, which I think people do. Hmm. And that's the wrong way to do it. It's more. It's kind of like um, someone going to Home Depot and buying a bunch of random tools and saying, "I'm ready to build something. I don't know what I'm going to build, but I have a hammer and I have this uh, this welder and I have this lawnmower. What can I make?" Yeah, and you know they're the best of the best. So <laughs> you know you always got to start with what you want to accomplish and then be like, "What's the right tool for it?" Yeah. Boy, that is, uh, that's some good insight. I see that so much online. It's just, yeah, it's, it's bragging about the tools, the software, the gear, whatever it is that you've got rather than like, show me the, show me the proof. And it's me, this is, this is, this is mainly a a problem with guys because we're cavemen. We want to have have the best club so we can go out and kill the dinosaurs and bring them back to the cave. Um, I'm inspired mostly by women artists because they always start with the the emotional connection usually the the connection first the what's inside of the image versus the veneer and i think that's where we need to put our our focus and then the right tools to make that happen yeah no doubt no doubt so um so along that vein then when you're when you're opening up a project and let's just let's just go back to a project that you edited for me because i know you're not doing um, you know, you're not running a wedding film business. And so, um, I don't know if I'm your only client you've edited wedding films for, cause I know most of your work is, is in the commercial space. Um, the commercial and the, of course the education stuff that you do. Um, but yeah, when you think back on, you know, I know you did a handful of projects for me, but when you're looking at those, what's, what is the, some of the the bigger picture things that you're thinking about before you kind of dive into uh, dive into the tools and start tinkering with stuff. Well, first thing I, I do, and I, I I can't turn this off in my brain because I'm you know when, once we start once we start to see as a photographer or as a filmmaker, you can't not see as a photographer or filmmaker. It's just always on. So I always look at the cut and I see how each image each cut works with the next cut mm-hmm. and the cut before that is it smooth are we are we cutting on, on a on a blank or is it one eye open one eye close i mean just like a variety of things it's and they go by feeling i don't go by a set of rules it's how does it feel and um once i kind of do those little tweaks then i go and i, and I kind of just look at the image look where the focus is where did the the filmmaker the the camera man put the uh the, the focus of the of that shot and then how am I feeling emotionally? Is it, is it, what do, what do I want to have the, the viewer get out of that? Cause the edit, the edit t- does the, the cut does so much for the storytelling, but it's the color and how do I want to direct the eye with the color? Um, so I think about that. That's usually, you know, the first thing is really after I tweak the cut is what, what, how do I want to, how do I want to approach the color? And I, I usually watch it a few times. So the thing is, you can, there's, there's different ways to approach color. You can make it so that you can go, you can say, okay, I'm going to make the color look just like as, as real as I think it is based on, because I wasn't there, but 
as real as real as it as I think it is, right? That and that that's cool for like photojournalistic work, but mm. for anything outside of that, it usually means the colors are flat and dull and boring. Right. Um, so I usually don't do that with weddings and um, or anything really. I want more of a stylistic uh, approach. So then the other thing is, okay, well then, how do the viewer? How would the viewers in their mind's eye? How do they remember that scene? Or, and that's really just a guess, right? You know, when you see something, especially for people that don't know photography, when they see something and they take a photo of it, like that doesn't look like what I what I saw, and, and really that's exactly what they saw but in their mind's eye they see something different so i try to put my my i try to wrap my brain around that um then the other thing is do i want to add a more stylistic look to it to specifically direct the story and the the viewer's attention in a certain way and Mm -hmm. then i'll go into the various tools and start to sculpt that piece by piece Hmm. yeah i think that's a really helpful way to 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 look at it that was one of the things that I was sort of um, surprised by as I was going through through your work is the way that you were thinking about shot to shot, how it was cohesive with each other. And not that I haven't, you know, in terms of like color matching and that sort of thing, I'm always very big on that. But you went way deeper than just how do they match shot to shot. Um, you were thinking about you know, so much more than that. So one of the things um, that I remember you you thinking about deeply was um, how do I how do I draw the eye more to the subject more than just the composition the lighting already did? Um, maybe say something about about that because that's not something that I've really seen people talk about or do. Yeah, I mean that's something that <clears throat> excuse me that we do regularly with like post production still images because it's just one image. It's easy. Right. to say i'm going to add a vignette but this it's not the 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 center is not the center of the vignette i'm going to move it over a little bit to help just and and keep it subtle um usually when we, when we first get into to arts we're like all about put it all max it out yeah. and it just looks so like cartoon after a while but the idea is just again to to make it a little more a little a little better than what it was in, in real life and so kind of focusing with like a usually use a very slight vignette, almost to where you can't even tell. That'll darken basically the overall image. But then often um, I will put a mask feathered over their face, the bride and the groom mainly. Everybody else is <laughs> sorry, but everyone else is not that important. But yeah, uh, put it put it over or whoever it is a music video, but put it over their face and just lighten that a little bit. And then usually I'll lower the contrast subtly very subtly um, because I don't want their face to look like mush, but I want their skin to look a little cleaner without having to to add some sort of smoothing uh, filter, which never usually didn't work out too good. So I just lightened that and then I did reduce the contrast a little bit. I'll add the contrast back in through color contrast, which is basically taking saturation and and, uh, moving that up. Um, But then if they have in saturations, when your saturation slider saturates everything, uh, but if you want to saturate everything but the skin tones, then you use a vibrance. So maybe they have a particular kind of makeup or something that I want to add a little more punch to. So then I'll take that saturation down and then I'll add the vibrance back in. Hmm. So you're basically kind of sculpting the light uh, in post. Right. 
Yeah, that was that's a great way to describe it because I was I was having trouble figuring out the language to give to it there. But yeah, mm-hmm. it is a it is very much a sculpting of the light, and you know because there's times where we can do that in camera, whether it's through the natural light that's in a room, through the use of of windows or you know other artificial lighting, or bringing in our own lights. There's certainly lots of tools and things that we use and that we do use on a regular basis for that sort of thing. But there's also scenarios where you just can't, whether it's not practical or it just doesn't make sense um, because you're still shooting a live event. Um, you know, so uh, yeah. So that was, um, yeah, something that was hard to give language to that, that always made your work make mine stand out that much more whenever I had you on these projects. Uh, but I, I got to speak to that real quick, though. It, it it does help that your team is consistent with how they shoot. You right. know, pretty much every shot was was more than good enough as it is. Right. Um, I did work with a couple other uh, wedding filmmakers. Um, one was really good, and the other one, um, it was difficult to grade their work because their, their white balance was like all over the place. Hmm. It was like green, and someone was magenta, and then it, the each they had three cameras, and each camera had a different white balance. And I was like, "Dude, I'm ready to punch myself in the face," <laughs> you know. So yeah. you have to start off with something good. Right. I don't want people to get the impression that you can make garbage in the gold. You can't. You can't do that. Right. Um, you just can't. And even if you're shooting raw, there's only only so much you can do with with a file before it breaks down. So okay. you gotta you gotta do your best to get it right in camera. It's impossible to make it perfect in camera, but you really gotta do your best. And this is like when you're shooting, you know, if you're just getting into this, you know, when you're shooting, you got a ton of things coming at you, people questioning you, and all sorts of craziness. Is that you gotta be as prepared as you can, understand your gear. If you're not sure what's going on with white balance, keep it in daylight or in the, or keep it in tungsten presets so that all your cameras match, you know, just keep it, try to minimize your insanity. Yeah. And then tidy that up in, in post. Yeah, absolutely. Or definitely go back and listen to last week's episode because man, <laughs> that too. I freaking, I harped on that big time last week. You know, after, after doing, um, you know, some work for us, you know, how, how big we are on color and getting accurate colors in camera because yeah, like you said, it just makes all the difference in the world when it comes to post, um, and being able to get that image to look good again, because you've worked and I had forgotten, but now I'm remembering you tell me that you had worked with a few other wedding filmmakers, um, on some of their color. So, um, talk to me about that experience. You've, you've not only shot with, I know you've shot with, just in the last couple of years, right? You shot with uh, with with Olympus and Lumix and Sony and Canon and Fuji. Uh, you've kind of done everything, I think. Um, so you've worked with all these different files. Um, I think one of the things that is something that's often overlooked when it comes to what the cameras do is how flexible they are when it comes to, when it comes to color grading, you know, we, we look at some of the sexier specs, you know, does it have 4k 60 P does it have, 
image stabilization, um, some things like that that obviously make a big difference. But when it comes to color, what did you notice as you worked with different cameras um, throughout the line? And what are maybe specs that we might look for if you're looking for a camera that has a little bit more freedom when it comes to the post work with color? Yeah, I um, so when I left Panasonic, you know, I was very, I was super fortunate to work with Panasonic. They gave me, I had, I had the entire portfolio of their camera line. It was in multiples, and it was just like, it was overwhelming. After a while, I was like, please stop sending me stuff. <laughs> you know, it was. Like, I guess if there was a problem, it's that's the problem that you would want, right? Yeah. So when I left, I was like, well, I think I want to explore the tool set, and I want to try everything. And I was pretty, and I, I tried Canon DSLRs. I'm like, these are great for stills. But I was like, who in their right mind that that's not getting paid by Canon wants to shoot <laughs> video with a Canon DSLR? I mean, do you like pain? Is that, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, they were awful. They were like, the crop factor was was ridiculous. The codecs were something out of, out of purely like out of like Hellraiser the movie or something. That would be like <laughs> when the dudes come up and they got all the nails in their head. For me, for my like Hellraiser to be like, we're going to give you this crappy codec. And, and I, you know, and then I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in hell. Um, so I sold those great. Is for that stills, primarily though. because of the size of the files? They or? were just like this, everything, the size, like it just, it just sucked, you know, all around. And, and again, I think for people that, don't know any better. You're probably like, oh, this was great. But it's not great. It really sucks. <laughs> no, just don't do it. Don't buy a DSLR to shoot to shoot anything anymore. But don't buy a DSLR to shoot video. Buy something that's made to shoot video. Um, the uh, Panasonics have, have or, or Panasonic cameras, they may, for a lot of people, they may seem boring, but they're so reliable and they're so consistent. And you can't say enough about reliability and consistency. Right. You don't want your camera to overheat. You don't want to have weird card errors. You don't want them to, to um, you know, have weird, just any, any, any weirdness when you're in the middle of a shoot. Will, will, it's like hell on earth. It's awful. They're just so, the, you know, the Panasonics are really consistent. You just have to choose what color profile you want. And go for it. You can shoot the log um, if you're like in a GH5, um, but log is is much more difficult to shoot right than say like a vivid or a natural, right. which is really I think where people should focus. Either do vivid or natural for Panasonic and leave it alone, because hmm. the end they have like teams of engineers, and they're probably smarter than us when it comes to making that stuff. <laughs> Just an idea. Yeah. And so you, unless you go on, unless you go on like in some of the camera forums and. All the people in the camera forums are obviously far smarter than the engineers, but yeah. you know, I'm sorry, I'm trying not to rant, man. That's I'm okay. Trying. No, is there um, is there specifically like is there was there anything about, um, you know, the the color space there that's that's unique, um, in some of the smaller um, format cameras that allowed you to, some more flexibility, or was there more flexibility it, with some other camera systems that you worked with? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that in a sec. So then I, I, you know, I tried the Sony's, and the autofocus was awesome. Uh, the interface was was a nightmare. You like, you know, you're like, wow, you know, autofocus for video was phenomenal. You're like, this was great. Then you get and you're like, how do I get to whatever? And then you're in the menu, and you're like, oh my god, what's what's the suitcase for? <laughs> See, I don't know what the, they have a suitcase on there. 
and then you're trying to so um which you what and then i tried fujis which I, are way better now for video than what they were even a year ago the main thing is what what you need is a good you need a you need a high bit rate if you're not shooting raw video right which these cameras don't every mm-hmm. photo in the in your mov file or your excuse me your mp4 file is basically a jpeg just consider mm. it a jpeg and a compressed jpeg if it's a, if it's 4k it's right. it's a 8 megapixel jpeg yep. so you want that jpeg to have as much data color data in it as possible in dynamic range so that when you get into grading as you start to work the file cuz you're going to work it if you're going to if you're going to really do it right with your color the files are going to break down. So what file is going to break down the least? Um, for me, in my experience, it, it was it was Panasonic's broke down the least, then Sony, then Fuji, um, and then just don't use any other brand for video <laughs> unless unless you're using a speci- unless you're using a specific Canon video camera. You know, yeah. I, I got to say that you know then it's it's a different world. But as far as the right. the form factors of video cameras that look like a still camera. The, the you know, if you just think about, and you know what, you know what's great about this, Jordan is, I ain't getting paid by anybody. So what I'm saying is, <laughs> what I'm saying comes from experience. If we had talked so, to you a few years ago, we would say, well, Julio's biased, but now he's, he's not being paid somebody, by anybody. And, there was always uh, somebody that's like that that says that yeah. stuff, <laughs> and it was never true. It was like I, uh, I am, I'm the kind of uh, person that is probably a nightmare to deal with uh, from corporate people because I don't follow the rules and I got in trouble frequently. <laughs> um, but I always said what I thought, regardless yeah. of money or anything. But now I, I ain't sponsored by anybody. I don't want to be sponsored by anybody. But the Panasonics, if you look at what is a GH5, it's a video camera. It's a really good video camera that also happens to be a decent still camera in the form of a DSLR shape. Right. And, and, uh, you know, they just give you just a phenomenal file. Plus you get your scopes, you get uh, vector and you get waveform. Um, and if you want to nail skin tones, your vector scope is going to do it for you. Hmm. And I don't think there's a, a single Sony or Fuji or any of those other cameras that have those scopes in there. Right. Except for the GH5 and then GH, I'm assuming the GH5S also has those scopes. Sure. Yeah, for sure. So those things make it easy because here's the thing with color, with people. If you get the skin tone right, no one cares that much about other stuff. Yeah. But if you're if your if your bride looks like you know a zombie, <laughs> and it's not a zombie wedding, then you're in trouble. Yeah. So. No doubt. Yeah, I was talking about last week, sort of harping on the idea of getting the whites to look white, but I, but I said it's not just it's it's not it's not even so that the dress looks white like. That's a good byproduct, but but I use that as the barometer because that's what gets our skin tones to where they need to be in sort of the the quickest way to do that. You know, there's obviously like there are more accurate ways to do that. Probably uh, if you've got the video, if you've got the vector scopes, obviously that you know. But in terms of just like the quickest way to do it, that works across any camera systems. Get the whites white, and the skin tones will usually follow. So. Yeah, yeah, and that's all about white balance too. Absolutely. Yeah. So so looking for things like a higher bit rate, 
a higher bit rate, you want if you can get four two two ten bit color in camera. I don't does the GH five do that? Um, I think it may, but if you can get four two two ten bit color in camera, that's gonna be nice. Um I, if I, not unfortunately see I'm a I'm a bad Panasonic crap because I can't even answer that question. I actually I just haven't used the ten bit because um because for for most of the work that we do, it's just like it would slow the computers down too much. It 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 certainly does. If you can do it in camera, man, you can really, really, uh, it'll hold up. A, for me, for me, it does. And I'll, mind you, I'm when I'm like grading footage, I'll look at the tiniest details that most people won't see, but I take that into consideration because I'm thinking about well, what's the output going to look like at the end. Right. It's not the it's not a deal breaker if you can't do ten bit four two two in camera. Um it's mainly for like more high end uh color work, uh composites, that kind of stuff. Green screen where you really need to be able to separate your, your color channels. Right. But it does it for me I, I it does help because and it, and if if you're gonna shoot log footage, it really makes a difference, mm. in my opinion, to have that. Um you can always use an Atomos ninja or whatever, but that does uh, that is going to bulk up your gear. It's also going to cost you at least another thousand bucks. And then at that point, I want to say GH5 footage at six four K sixty P is like fifteen minutes is sixty gigs. Yeah. So then it's like, I mean, wow, you're like in you're like in the, you're like a data center. Yeah. You know. Yeah, which is you know probably similar to what the uh, the Canon DSLR guys are used to on just kind of their normal everyday 4k 24 stuff yeah except for with a gh5 it actually would be sharp you know (laughs) if you're looking for sharp if you're sorry i'm totally yeah i'm totally not trying to pick a fight with canon i love (laughs) canon's colors um my issue with them is that they keep holding back on what could be an awesome video device Mm. even in their new mirrorless cameras and they just they're just like nah nah We'll just pay influencers to talk about it, and you guys will buy it and not question it. Yeah, because we're canon, you know. Yeah. Oh dear, I <laughs> Jordan, I don't, I don't burn bridges. I blow them up. <laughs> <laughs> go big or go home, man. That's it, dude. That's it, man. That's it. Um, but if if you're looking at one metric, you just want to have a, as high a bit rate as possible. That should be your your number yeah. one metric. I mean, you can get you can geek out and go into. Uh, 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 what the codec you can think about, which and codec stands for how it compresses, um, or yeah, compresses and then decompresses, uh, the data. You can go in, and then there's different codecs. I mean, it gets really complicated quick, but um, and you can consider about the wrapper. Do you want an MOV wrapper or a uh, uh, um, MP4. MP4 wrapper, which doesn't matter as much, um. I mean, we call it, it's called a wrapper because think of it as a container that wraps up all of your individual JPEGs and then it's just called an MP4. And if you were to open up that wrapper, wrapper like Snickers, not like LL Cool J. If you're opening up that wrapper, <laughs> you would see all the JPEGs in there. That's kind of how I explain it. But nice. Um, but the most important thing is, is that the camera shoots MOV or MP4 wrapper. And that will shoot as high of bit rate as possible because you want those JPEGs to have as much data in them so that you can manipulate it in post. Other than everything after that, um, it's you really kind of 
you're going to put a lot of time and effort into getting minimal amounts of, 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 um, quality at that point. Yeah, for sure. So, um, another question that I wanted to dive into as well is the tools that are available to us in final cut. I think for a lot of people, when it comes to some of the, the, the scopes, the, the RGB parade, the, you know, everything that we have access to on most of our uh, editing platforms, you're obviously working primarily with, um, with final cut pro these days as, as are many of our listeners. Um, but tell me about maybe demystify some of these tools for us. How are you using these tools when it comes to the edit to actually tell what's going on there beyond just what your eye, what the cones in your eyes can see the colors are doing? Yeah. Um, I usually, I, I, uh, first of all, I'm a photographer. I'm a still photographer first that got into video. I got into video when, uh, in the recession in 2008, so I can differentiate myself by having another service. So I approach everything as a photographer. It used to be all about the histogram, but I, I really, over the years, like I really appreciate the vector scope and, and, and the, and the waveform most vector scope just for skin, mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that once it, once it's in the, the, the range that uh, the skin tones are good and it works at any, any type of skin color. Um, but basically, and, and at least the final cut, and I think with premiere and everything else, there's like a little line. I want to say it's at the 10, 11 o'clock. T- yeah. I think it's about 10 o'clock. Yeah. So that is your, something like that. yeah, that is your skin tone line right and then you see like this blob of colors it looks like some sort of thing you'd see hippie screensaver thingy it's like this blob <laughs> of colors um and that is basically the the all the colors in that in that shot but for vector scope you really just want to focus on the skin so when you're you want to you want to isolate the skin so what a, a good a basic tip is to for that just while you're correcting the skin just crop in to that that shot, so all you have is skin, mm-hmm. and not background and everything. Just skin, and see where that those colors go. If they shift drastically off that line, then you're then you need to you need to go back and and tweak your colors so that the, mm-hmm. the skin tones get back in line. Yeah. Um, but before I even do that, I I, I will go with the uh, um, the waveform monitor. So basically, the the waveform is telling me. It's like a histogram, but for video, it's like you, if you want your highlights to be below a certain amount and your shadows to be above a certain amount, unless you really want to crush or blow things out. And I usually start off there and I kind of just, you know, change my exposure or I'll use curves in Final Cut. I like curves being a photographer. I know mm-hmm. how to manipulate that easy enough. And I just do my curves until I get that waveform and, and, uh, and that's for luminance. Right. Um, if I want to see more then I'll do RGB parade because you know, who doesn't like a parade? So <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I have the parade set up and, uh, so, so tell me how my, how, mm-hmm. uh, the, um, you know, the waveforms obviously being about our exposure, just tell me the difference between the waveform and the RGB parade. Sure. RGB parade kind of shows you the distribution of your red, green, and blue, uh, pixels in the scene. And so you can see, like, if someone's got a red dress on, digital cameras really str- often struggle with red. So you may see, like, a big spike in your red. It's almost like um, an RGB histogram, but for video. 
Hmm. That, that's how I approach it. So it just kind of tells you, you know, if you're if you're if you're working with your bride and groom and in, in, in a bunch of on a, a golf course or there's green trees behind them, so your RGB parade and you pull it up, you're going to see a lot of information in green. Mm-hmm. So don't freak out because then you look at the scene and the scene's green. But if you see a lot of red, because maybe the white, maybe your camera was not a white balance by mistake, and it's trying to compensate for that green, you may see a lot of red, and then it tells you, and then you then you start analyzing the image even more, and you're like, you know, the the greens actually do look a little more red than I, I would like, and then that gives you the the uh, data to make an informed decision to say, okay, I'm going to pull down uh, the reds a little bit, or. Uh, or add, um, or sorry, pull down magenta. Well, magenta is the opposite of green, so I'm going to add more green, basically. Right. So is so, that kind of how you're you're working with that? Then is you're you're basically analyzing the image based off of what's there, and then what's in the RGB parade, and then you're you're using that rather than just sort of because sometimes our eyes play trick with us, and we stare at an image too long, and um, you know we think we see a color there, and then it you know, you can certainly, a lot of times I feel like I have to go away from the work for, you know, uh, for a period of time to come back to it in order to actually see what's really going on there, you know, cause you can easily miss that. So, um, yeah, say more about how you're using that tool and then what adjustments you're making based off of what you're seeing in the RGB parade. Yeah, I mean, I I go by the first of all, I go by emotion. I look at the image mm. without any scopes up or anything. Yeah. So I kind of want to get a feel for it, and then I'm gonna, and then I'm gonna say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe tone down uh, this light, but I'm gonna warm up the overall scene or whatever it is I want to accomplish. Then I pull up the uh, the waveform monitor because I want to see the I want to see basically are things blown out that maybe I'm missing or you know, maybe the whites are a little too crispy and see if there's any more headroom where I can kind of pull that down a bit. Once I get the the contrast where I like it, then I'll go back into the color. And I use, but I, what I usually do with the contrast is I try to flatten it out, make it a little less contrasty because when you add in color, it adds back in contrast, right? It's color contrast. Once I do that, then I'll open up the RGB parade and then I'll just check that to see where those colors are. And I usually will have the vector scope open at the same time to see where the skin tones are. I bounce around a lot. There's like no set way to do this. But as an artist, I go into this as emotion first. What am I feeling? What I want the the viewer to feel in in what what I want that outcome to be. Then I go to the scopes and I use the scopes as reference because it's true. Your eyes play tricks on you. I once was retouching an image when I first started on my career years ago. And I kept trying to fix this blemish on this woman's chin. And I was like 30 minutes in there. I'm like, dude, I can't get this blemish off. Then I realized it was like a grease smudge on my monitor. <laughs> dude, and then I like, I so I cleaned it and I realized I totally like annihilated her face. <laughs> so, you know, it, it does play tricks on us. And that's, but speaking of tricks, if you get this again, like I got to stress, if you get the skin tones right, um, if everything else is a lot easier because everything's passable. Right. We're going to be looking, we're, when we're looking at an image, um, we'd like to, we're going to connect with the eyes, we're going to connect with the emotions, especially if there's an emotional connection between the viewer, it could be the the parents to the bride. They want their daughter to look their best. They don't care if the 
if if the the grass on the back is a little too yellow or the, no one cares about that as much right yep so get get the skin get the skin right and then everything else is 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 easier yeah here's a question for you so sometimes we go into you know especially here in texas there's a lot of there's a lot of weddings out in the country a lot of weddings in a glorified barn um you know that are that are nicely decorated and all that you know but they're they're still in a barn and it's um sort of this orange toned wood and there's you know tungsten uh you know there's kind of this orange lighting going on and uh you know people are sort of uh it's it's common i think common practice at least down south that brides are going to spend a little bit more time tanning before a wedding they might be a little bit orange too so <laughs> i'm painting sort of the uh the worst case scenario here um let's say we're doing a ceremony in this type of environment where we've got orange walls orange lights orange skin um what are we what are we able to do in a scenario like that to help our bride skin tones not just sort of fall into a sea of everything looks the same well um First thing you want to do is you want to get out your hanky, and your tears, <laughs> okay, and then calm, calm yourself down because we've all been we've all been in these scenarios. You're going in, maybe you're thinking it's just going to be the best thing ever, and you get there like, what is going on? Yeah, they step in the portal and come out in like a wedding nightmare. You know, it's like oh my god, we've all experienced that to various degrees. Um, now the thing is, if there's if the warm tones are just like out of control. And it, but but also the bride's skin is warm, everything's warm, then you really only have to deal with warm tones and reducing that uh, when you capture it and reduce it in post. So what I would do, um, and again, if your camera's got a got a vector scope built in, uh, like a GH5, that's super easy because then you just follow you follow the vector scope. Vector scope says skin is good, cool. Now I just want it to be as now now you're like okay as the artist. I want it to be a little bit less warm. So then you can just tweak your your white balance, sync all the cameras up, and get to get to work. If you don't have that, well, um, get that hanky out again. No, but um, <laughs> if if you don't have that, then basically uh, there are there are like white balance cards. Um, not like a great card, but it's actually a, I have one. I have one somewhere. It looks like a grid. Of yeah. thing, and you can put it in front of your lens like a expo disc uh, that can help you and it's in that that case you're better off to have a more neutral palette so i would say probably i would shoot my video instead of like the vivid profile i would use the natural profile tone things tone down saturation just, a little bit. yeah but i yeah and i would just leave it alone um and post if it's all warm then you can just pull down the warmth and post now the problem is what if you go into that barn and she she's looking like like she's all bronzed up and then the lights are warm, but then maybe there's another weird light, some fluorescent and a cast some magenta. Now, now you have to make a decision at that point. And right. um, there's not a whole lot you can do really when you capture unless you want to, unless you are there ahead of time and you have a, <laughs> happen to have a bunch of gel rolls in your truck and you can go <laughs> gel that light. Um, there's only so much you can do. 
And I would say you want to, you know, just be calm. Don't worry about it uh, so much. Do your best to get it set up and then have a brief conversation with your client, probably the bride and the groom. Say, hey, I just want you guys to know that we're dealing with a lot of heavy warm tones. And we're going to do our best when we capture it so that your skin looks good. And we're going to do our best in post. Um, but I just wanted to give you guys a heads up and then show them, show them the video or something, a quick shot. And if they're like, Oh, it's great. Then, then fine. You know? Yeah. Is there anything that you're going to do to, um, to, to affect the bride's skin tone in post after the fact, right? Um, to affect her skin tone in that scenario, sort of isolating it, leaving the room the way it is. Is, is there is there work that you're going to do on that? Or are you just sort of going to leave it alone? That's just the way it was. Well, again, you have to decide, are we going to deliver what we saw or are we going to deliver what... Are we, are we going to deliver what, what the mind's eye is seeing or are we going to deliver exactly what the scene is? Most likely you're going to deliver what the mind's eye or your interpretation is that they're seeing, which is probably not this like orange mess. So in post, what you could do, with at least with Final Cut, you can make a quick mask by hitting the eyedropper, selecting the skin, and it'll hit all the tones in that skin. Now, if the whole scene has those tones, what's going to happen? It's going to select all sorts Everything, of stuff. Right. Right. So then at that point, you would add a mask. Um, so it add, so when you do the eyedropper and you select the skin tone, it's going gonna, it's gonna to select a ton of stuff. But it's also going to select the skin tones. Then you put a mask on top of that, and it tells Final Cut only affect the skin tones within that mask. And you're just going to have to animate that mask shot by shot. And it's going to take some time to do it. Um, but you can do it for an overall shot. Before you even do that, is you can just kind of tone, take, desaturate the... Uh, the warm, the warm tones, be it red and yellow, depending on, on the scene, desaturate that a little bit and p- p- potentially reduce the contrast a little bit. Right. And then you can always build that back into the bride's skin. And it really depends. Some people, some people really like their skin to look like leather. <laughs> well, what I, what I call leather. Um, some people do. And if that's what they're into, give them, give them what they're into. But you know, as long as you're in, you're in communication with them if, at at the shoot, and then you're 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 sensitive to to that need to their needs in post, you can deliver something that and maybe it's not a portfolio piece for you, but it's it'll be good for for your customer. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And then maybe when you when they watch it. Send them some blue sunglasses. <laughs> oh, it looks great with these sunglasses on. Put them on. Trust me. Uh, that's awesome. Um, so there's another there's there's another situation that you helped us out. I'm thinking of a particular wedding that I shot that was outside on a cloudy day, um, which we know obviously like creates more and it was it was a winter wedding so it's just kind of a cooler scene in general right um but it was it was outdoors but under uh they had like a 
uh, I don't know, my mind's not working well enough, but it's just basically just like a roof on sticks, right? <laughs> what's what's the word for that? Why can't I, I don't think? know. I, I, I like know roof on sticks. You know what I'm talking about. We're called yes, a roof yeah. on sticks. It's a roof on sticks. <laughs> it was very nice roof on sticks, <laughs> but uh, I had everything set, white balance, great. I had my um, my assistant stand in. Everything was awesome, and then. During the processional, somebody went and flipped the switch on a light that was the orangest light I've ever seen in my life. And it was very bright. Um, so at that point, everything is just screwed. Um, let's pretend for a moment that I had not been screwed at the last minute. And I knew that the situation was going to be like this, right? There's a light that I can't control. I don't know where... Uh, there's there's no way for me to get this light off, right? And it's orange. And I'm outdoors on a cloudy day where all the rest of the light is blue. What is, what's my best case scenario of how I shoot that? And then we can talk about what I'm going to do in post. Because I'm going to have to do something. Otherwise, it's just going to be a, a dramatic difference in the, the skin tone. Is either going to be accurate and then we're going to have a very blue scene I'm going to have an accurate scene and very orange skin tones. So what's the ideal setup for me to do in camera that's going to give me the best situation to work with the footage in post? Um, well, at that point, you're going to want to expose for the skin and get the color and white balance right for the skin. Always, always for the skin. Mm. Sure, maybe the, the florist gets upset or whatever, but they're not your client. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, so that's what that's the first thing I would do. Uh, so then we'll just say that their skin is fairly good. It's maybe it needs a little finessing in post, but the background is super blue. Then in post, you're just going to want to take care of that in the background. So what you could do is you can put a mask around the bride and the groom. Now, mind you, if the camera's static, if it's not, you're going to have to animate the mask. But you put the, the mask around them, and then in Final Cut, you you adjust the colors, and you tell um, to, you adjust the colors to remove some of the blue. So that would probably be some saturation of blue some adding back of the warmth but then you flip that you invert the mask so it only affects everything that's outside of the mask hmm. and that's how i probably would start that scene um and then typically because i do a vignette um a subtle vignette that's also going to darken and reduce a lot of those weird colors but you know you can't make a miracle happen it's gonna you, you have to it's a comp everything with video and photography is a compromise so I think that's probably where I would start. Yeah. Did I did I work on a scene like that for you? You said you did. Yeah. That I I'm pretty sure that you did that one for me. I uh, cool. it was about the time that you were doing several weddings for me. So okay. I feel like that was probably a scene that you worked on. But uh, but yeah, that was uh, I was very unhappy with someone whoever flipped that light on at the last minute because it was Man. awesome before. All right. Super beautiful light. And then they went and flipped the dang orange light on. So we had to do the opposite because it was last minute. I didn't have time to, all the cameras were already rolling. Mm -hmm. I didn't have time to change the white balance. So, um, and I've always been of the mind that in a situation where the camera's already rolling, um, <coughs> I don't want to, unless there's something that I just like absolutely have to change as far as the exposure, I don't want to touch it because that's like time that I can't like actually use that footage. Right when the exposure is being changed, I don't want I don't want a final product to ever see the exposure change on a camera. Right, so you know it's always get it as best as you can and then just leave it alone. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, so anyways, that was, um, that was a fun one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's always going to be every shoot. There's always compromises or surprises. You just, you didn't want to do your best to minimize that. And just, then that means basically go as best prepare and be as prepared as you can be. Absolutely. And chill too. You can't freak out about that stuff because it's out of your control. Yep. No doubt. Well, do you have any last uh, words? We're coming up here. We've just passed the hour mark. I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time. I know you have so much going on. Any last words you want to leave with our audience? Um, I think if you guys want to you know, dive in and understand color more, look at some older music videos and look at some older openings, openings like older, older TV shows like Law & Order is a great one. Hmm. Um, cause they use mostly stills, but, or any, any, or any movie that you, uh, are inspired by and just kind of look that over and we, you know, we don't really want to watch it with sound on or even watch it with necessarily with it moving. Just look at the individual frames and then write down separately in a piece of paper, what it is about that that inspires you. Hmm. And this is one of the things we teach in the finding the photographer's vision. And if you do that in enough shots, you'll start to see the commonality of things that inspire you. Hmm. And then you can go and then you say, oh, well, I've, it looks like that blue-green teal look that everyone's using. I don't really like. I really like this look. Hmm. And then you can start to dissect that. Now, another thing you can do is if you're a Creative Cloud subscriber, maybe even if you're not, but they have um, a, 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 an app through the browser called Adobe Color. And you can take those frames, you can upload those to Adobe Color, and it'll break down a color palette for you in that shot. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. And then, if, so if you like that shot, and you, so after you, and you do this after you write down all your stuff, don't go right for the fun stuff, guys. Eat. Huh. Yeah, you can't have no pudding until you eat your meat. Right? So, <laughs> um, you know, you, you write down all this stuff about each shot. Take those same frames, the individual frames. Once you're done writing it down, put that in the color and Adobe Color, and then look at the color palette. So if you're having a commonality that that you've written down about how you feel about the image, about what in color you see and the tones that you see, and then you have confirmation from Adobe Color that analyzes these images, um, and you're having similar color palettes, that'll really direct you and where you want to go with, with your work. Um, plus, if you are a Creative Cloud member, then you can save that color palette, and you can even save that as your own LUT. And you can ah. apply that to videos. Ah, yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a free tip. Nice. <laughs> Very yeah. cool. So, the, you know, there's a, there's a variety of ways to do it. I think when it comes to video work, especially video work, because there's so much, so many variables. Um, and this is something that's just come of age for me because I'm 43 now. If you ask me, like, when I was in my 20s, I, it was impossible. But mm-hmm. you want to slow down and breathe. Yeah. And just be, just don't, don't freak out um, and, and step back. Like you're saying, take time off the computer if you need to, you know, and try not to think about it all the time. Cause it's so easy for us to obsess with our, with our job. Hmm. But sometimes, you know, and I, and I, I'm saying this and I don't, I don't even have a hobby. Someone's like, what's your hobby? I'm like, photography. What do you do for a <laughs> living? Photography. You know, I, was like, I don't even have a hobby, but try to, try to, to balance your work 
even though you love it with other things because you can easily get yourself into a burnout stage and then nothing's going to be good for you. So, hmm. Yep. No doubt. Well, friend, this was super helpful. I love your vision. I love your ability to, um, to, to look at story and emotion and even with right down to the details of, of color grading, allow your decision-making on color to be affected by your vision, your storytelling. And, uh, you know, that's why I wanted you working on those projects because you are so gifted in that way. And we are of the same mind that story is king and, um, and, and letting that drive everything that you do. So thank you for your work that you have done here today for the work that you do in the, in the photograph and in the filmmaking community to, to raise the tide. You're doing good stuff, friend. Thanks so much. I really appreciate being on the show and, uh, and, and, uh, I'd love to hear from your, your, your audience. If they're getting something out of this, I would love to hear what they got out of this. Cause it's, it's always an honor to help people be their best artist. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. The wedding film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe on Patreon so you never miss a show. And when you're done, head on over to the Wedding Film Academy Facebook group to chat with other wedding filmmakers like yourself. Until next time, keep making movie magic.